Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Here with me now the reading of God's Word in the first letter of Peter, chapter 3, verses 13 through 22. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteousness, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but also made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. But the removal of dirt from the body, but pledge of a good conscience towards God, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? O Lord, as we worship today, we have so many things on our hearts, so much noise in our lives, and I pray that your words would slice through that with a deafening clarity so that we might hear exactly who you would have us be what you would have us do, and be reminded that you are our God and that we are your blessed people. So that coming away from this hour of respite, that we might be renewed in our spirits and might be hearers of your word and doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. It was a small church in a small town, one of those towns in which the doors were never locked, in homes much less in churches. It was Thursday night, sort of the international night of choir rehearsal, and the choir had left the church building and the choir director was turning off the lights and shutting the doors. And as he stepped into the chapel to turn off the main lights and leave just one light shining on the altar, he was startled to find someone sitting 
on the pews. The man sitting on the pew was just as startled by the choir director as the choir director was startled by him. And the choir director really recovered and he said, hey friend, I'm so glad you're here, is everything okay? And it was in that moment that the man began to tell his story. And for the next hour he just unpoted, unloaded and unfolded a story of woe and misery and concern and loss and confusion. And at the end of it all, the choir director, not knowing what to do, simply said, how can I help you? And the man said, you've done just that. Just listening to my story, you've done just that. I know you must want to go home. Is it okay if I stay here a while. If you must, you can even turn out the lights. I'm okay. And the choir director smiled and he said, the lights never go out in this room. There's always a light on. It's a light that reminds us of the hope of Christ. And the man said, thank you. I think I'll stay a while here in the light. And with that, the choir director left. He came across the man a few days later in the church, speaking to one of the pastors, getting help for all of the things in his life. And he looked at the choir director and he said, I can't thank you enough for being the light I needed last week. I think about that, leaving the light on and how the light in the church is always on, if you will, how the light of God's Spirit shines amongst us no matter what darkness may threaten to envelop us. The author of the first letter of Peter, as he's writing to the church in Asia Minor, he's talking about their suffering once again, about their suffering for doing what is right, even if it is not popular. They're suffering because of their faith. He reminds them to hold fast to their faith, to that which matters most, because it brings hope to their lives and hope to the world. He reminds them that they have inherited, in a sense, this great gift from God, this gift of resurrection, that it comes through the suffering of Christ, that because of Christ's suffering, that he has brought our suffering to the feet of God. And it's in that presence of God's eternal light that our suffering is alleviated, that God's Spirit lifts us up. It raises the dead and it raises our spirits and it gives us a new life, even beyond that which we are struggling with. As I thought about that text and I thought about my sermon and working on it this week, I kept coming back to this idea of suffering. And maybe it's because this week there seemed to be a mighty confluence of things mighty confluence of news, a mighty confluence of issues and ideals that sort of hit as I was crafting the sermon. I mean, it's a week for me that was fueled by 20 hours in the Zoom Zoo. The realization that May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And as I looked at the calendar, realizing that many of us have finished nine weeks in the COVID corral. And so as I got thinking about all those things, I began thinking about how all of this has to affect our mental state and that of those around us. Thinking about the church's response to COVID-19 and 
its effect on mental health. Thinking about what scripture might say to us to guide us during this time when so many people are suffering and need hope. Need to know that the light of hope still burns brightly in the world. So as I thought about that, I thought, what do we know about the effect of COVID-19 on our lives? We know from mental health professionals that in times of crisis like 9-11 or the financial meltdown of 2008 or even more locally localized issues like the shootings at Sandy Hook Elementary or Hurricane Katrina, we know that mental health professionals in those times find their caseload rising and that they are busier more than ever. And here in the COVID-19 pandemic, that is not any different. The crisis hotlines all report that calls are up 58% from what they were three and a half months ago. That 80 to 85% of the folks on these crisis lines are concerned about the coronavirus and COVID-19. But it's not just the hotlines, it's our private practice mental health professionals. These counselors are seeing a similar increase and no demographic seems to be immune from the effects of this pandemic on our mental health. I mean, we're seeing an increase in stress because of Zoom and online school and online work and trying to figure out how to juggle all of the things of life, of work and school and home and relationships while we are sheltering in place. We're seeing increased counts of anxiety and worry as people are concerned about their jobs and their employees and their finances and their health and whether or not they've got it all together because social media paints a picture that so many of us have life together. But you and I both know that it's just a picture that we project. Because in many lives, just like a duck sitting calmly on the water, there's a lot churning underneath and maybe we don't have it all together as we project. Addictions are on a rise as people spend more time in front of screens and wandering into places that they shouldn't or increase accounts of substance abuse just because people are self-medicating. And then there is loss and grief. I mean, real grief as people have, have experienced death in their families and yet are not able to fully process that death because they're not able to do the normal forms of grieving where we have funerals in churches gathered with family and friends. People who have lost in grief because their plans have changed, their dreams for this summer, for weddings, for family gatherings, for graduations, that they've all been dashed and have sort of this COVID seasoning to them. And then as the news cycle rolls on and on, increasing cases of depression, hearing things where we've changed our routines, we see empty grocery shelves in a land of plenty, not being able to connect with those that matter most to us because of social distancing, maybe seeing people from afar, but not being able to actually reach out and give them a hug or a pat on the back or even a handshake. It sends our souls and our spirits down and lurking around the corners of the room is PTSD. 
See, our mental states are on edge, and if we're honest with ourselves, it affects some of us more than others, but nonetheless, it affects all of us in some way, shape, or form. As we think about what all this does, we turn to the scriptures and we realize that in Psalm 121, it says, I lift my eyes unto the hill. Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. And so if we believe that in our hearts and we believe that in our very being, then what are the words that we find here in this book? What are the words that God speaks to us that might give us guidance as we face the pandemic, as we face its effects on our mental well-being? When this all started and we started worshiping sort of in this virtual format, one of the first scriptures that we used was Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And in that text, the Lord is my shepherd, he leadeth me beside the still waters, he restoreth my soul. And as I thought about those simple scriptures, those simple verses this week, I'm reminded about Jesus's ministry. In Jesus's ministry, he faced stress. He faced pressing demands on his time. He was concerned with teaching and teaching the right things and making sure that people heard that. And so as his calendar filled up, as his day were filled, if you watch and you read in the scriptures, every so often Jesus, on a regular basis, would step back and pull away from the fray. He would go to the mountainside or to the wilderness or he might send the disciples on across the Sea of Galilee and he said, I will join you later. And it was in that moment, in the quiet, that he recharged his soul. It was in the quiet that he listened intently for God. It was in the quiet by the still waters that God was guiding him that Jesus' soul, heart, energy, and spirit was restored. God still offers still waters to you and to me. Think of Henry David Thoreau, the American author. When he wrote on Walden Pond, he pulled away from society to spend time thinking and listening. In that moment of meditation, he began to tune out the cacophony of life around him to ponder what had been created for all of us. He used that time on Walden Pond to reset his soul. What about us? God still offers those still waters. We just have to let him lead us there. Maybe that looks like at five o'clock every afternoon after a busy day of work and school to just turn it off, to log off the computer, the phone, and everything else and let the screens just sit idle. To sit on the back porch and listen to wildlife. To take a walk with those that matter most and just enjoy each other's company, whether you talk or just walk. Or maybe it's being still and just listening. Maybe the still waters come with square breathing, where you breathe four seconds in and hold it for four seconds, then exhale for four seconds, and then wait four seconds before you repeat. And as we do that, we feel the stress the anxiety, 
the cacophony of life just dissipate. So we had that from Psalm 23, but then another example is in Jesus' own healing ministry. In his own miracles, I'm reminded of the man who sat by the pool and every time that the waters were troubled, hoping that someone would lift him in because he could not get in the water himself. Or the woman who was on the steps of the temple who had been afflicted with a hemorrhage for so many months and was waiting, just waiting for someone to come along to heal her. And when Jesus walked by, the man cried out to Jesus, Lord, would you put me in the water so that I might be healed? She reached out and touched the hem of his garment, knowing that just by reaching out, that that would be enough to heal her. You see, the lesson that we learned from them is that they sought help. They just didn't wait for it to get better. They sought help. They didn't let their affliction define them, and nor can we. No matter what we are wrestling with, it cannot define us. Brittany Moses, she wrote this quote, and I've got it, I wrote it down on a postcard, an index card, because it's just something to be reminded about. It says, your struggle in life is not your identity. Your trial is not your future. Never let anything shape your view of yourself except for who God says you are and what God says you are. I think about the man by the pool or the woman on the steps. They didn't let their struggle define them. They reached out. They reached out. They sought help for their own healing. And we must do the same. We cannot let our struggles define us. Instead, we must reach out. And so if we're struggling, if this is too much in life, to reach out to mental health professionals, reach out to them directly. If you don't know who they are, you're not sure what type to reach out to, Reach out to someone here at the church. We've got a resource base. Our clergy ministry staff have a resource base of mental health professionals, of Stephen ministers and spiritual directors who can help us who are wrestling and struggling. Or if that is too hard, to reach out to your doctor or to a close friend who is willing to listen and to help you find the pieces and the path to healing. See, the important thing for us to do is to ask because God does not want us to suffer. God does not want that. That was the whole gist of the resurrection was that we would no longer suffer, but that we would have life abundantly in God and in Christ. But if that is what the Bible says, then what does the church say about this? How does our church interpret that in ministry to the world? I think clearly about how we as United Methodists have a clear definition from John Wesley to do no harm, to do good, to stay close to God. We have it in our mission statement to love our neighbor as ourselves. You see, this is our business because we care about all the world and all of God's children. The church doesn't always talk about mental health, but we care about people. We care about relationships. We care about physical health, we care about spiritual health, and yes, we do care about our own mental health. And we have resources for those who struggle and suffer with a variety of afflictions. As I mentioned earlier, our clergy, we have referral sources. We know our limits, what we're able to help you with, but we can help you find the help you need. We have Stephen Ministry and Shining Light on Mental Health Ministries right here at Centenary that are able to listen and to care, to augment the work 
of the church as you take your journey. As we continue to watch what happens as the world begins to emerge from the stay-at-home orders, we're beginning to think about what types of support groups do we need to offer to help hold people up in their fragility of life. But it's not just the staff, it's not just the programs, it's all of us. Last week we talked about being a part of the priesthood of all believers, which means we are all ministers. And what does that mean? That means when we see something that we have to say something. When you see a loved one or a friend struggling, to reach out to them and lift them up, talk to them about it. Be willing to walk the road with them as they find the tools they need to healing and wholeness. You don't have to fix it. Much like that choir director just listening to the man's story as the sermon started, you just have to be willing to listen and to have compassion, a ministry of presence. You see, that's what it's about, that's what it's about to be in community, is to live together where we hold each other up even as we walk through valleys. So I think about this as we emerge from our homes, as the world begins to go back to the way it was in some ways. As we emerge, we never know who we're going to run into. We may not know their struggles. We may not know their stress. We may not know how they are really doing. But that we know this much, that people are struggling. People are suffering. And our church, our congregation, our brothers and sisters, we're the kind of people that leave the light on to provide hope for the world. Because the light that cast the darkness out in our lives is the same light that came into the world to cast the darkness out. That is the hope of the resurrection. And as Easter people, we believe so wholeheartedly in that, that we leave the light on by the way we live our lives and bear each other's burdens and care for each other every step of the way. So let us this week reflect that light of Christ by who we are and whose we are. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.